This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. We're continuing the study in Romans, and um, so uh, uh, Pastor Matt is out this week, and so uh, we're just continuing right along. So, so I, I inherited this passage, which is uh, quite interesting, and uh, it took me quite a while to kind of study it, try to get my head around it. Um, it's short, but it's, uh, it's deep with um, application. So as we go through this morning, it's basically going to be um, try to explain the passage and then try to apply the passage. So if you're a note taker and you're looking for a three-point sermon, it's a little bit distorted <laughs> this morning. It's more of a one-point sermon with a lot of application. So we'll uh, so that's that's the that's the idea. But anyway, so um, Romans 13 1 through 7 is going to tell us um, to be, and this is uh, maybe. Some of you are going to love this, and some of you are not going to love this, but Romans 13, 1 through 7 is going to tell us to be subject to the governing authorities, period. The passage doesn't distinguish between good and bad authorities, and it doesn't distinguish between authorities that are hostile towards Christianity and those that embrace it. And in light of our current uh, cultural reality uh, with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we know that... um, some people feel that the government has uh, overstepped their authority, and, um, but, and so we've had to wrestle with these questions of, well, how do we respond to our authority uh, in these situations? Um, another cultural, current cultural um, example would be um, uh, the, the murder of George Floyd uh, spurred on a uh, call to defund the police. Uh, well, the, the police are a, an arm of the government, an acting arm of the government, right? And so, um, so if we're calling to defund that, then in some ways we're not supporting the government. So there's a complex application to this situation, and it's very relevant to, um, to all of us sitting here this morning as to how do we live out our faith. And so... Um, so it brings up these questions, and these questions are, are really like, do I really need to obey the governing authorities? Why do I need to obey the governing authorities? What if the governing authorities are corrupt or even murderous? So these are tough questions, and um, tough questions to answer. And I believe that the church in Rome was asking similar questions about whether they should trust and obey their government or not. Think about uh, a Rome, the Roman culture, uh, whether the, the citizens uh, say you're a Christian there and there's Roman soldiers um, you know, running around the streets, like should you be respectful to them or should you be disrespectful? Should you obey or not? Um, so again, this passage is short, but I believe it will cause us to think twice when we want to, when our, our sinful heart says, I want to dismiss our government and do what I want to do. I think it's also helpful for us to have a framework to view this passage through. And so as we, um, as we get ready to read Romans 13, 1 through 7, I want to just remind us what comes right before it 
is, I believe, the framework that Paul is trying to give us to understand this passage. And it's, uh, it's uh, so it's Romans 12, 18 and following. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome. Do not overcome evil um, by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is, I believe, the trajectory that Paul is leading us into as we address, as he addresses, how do we deal with the governing authorities? So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The word of God for the people of God. And you may be seated. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that um, these issues are complicated, um, but we thank you for your word that brings us um, guidance in these situations. I pray that um, you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would apply these truths to our lives, and, um, and if there's things that I say that um, are not uh, congruent to the Word of God, that you would uh, wipe those away. Um, but Lord, I uh, pray that you would just uh, soften our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, that we might be responsive to your Word. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So there was this uh, person who was uh, seeking to find a tax accountant because they wanted to get a really good return on their taxes. So the, the person decided to interview uh, three tax accounts. So the first person, uh, he interviewed, this person interviews a tax accountant and he says, what's four plus four? And the tax accountant says, well, it's eight, of course. And, uh, and then the next uh, tax accountant interviews and, and the person says, what's two plus two? 
And he said, well, that's four, of course. And then the, the third tax accountant comes for the interview, and the person says, you know, what's two plus two? And the accountant says, what do you want it to be? Like, <laughs> I'm here to help, right? <laughs> forget the government authorities, forget the rules, right? What do you want it to be? I'm, I'm here to help, right? So I think that little, that little joke, it just sums up sometimes our, our attitude towards the governing authorities. We're quick to dismiss it. Well, that doesn't really fit my needs, so I'm going to do something different. And so I think that these words this morning are applicable to, um, to our lives in that kind of funny way, but also as we apply that to uh, the rest of our lives too. So, um, so my big question for you is, are you subject to our government? In other words, do you trust and obey the government? At some level, all of us here at Woodland do. We follow the rules for the most part. Even if we dislike, uh, say, a political figure that might be polarizing, uh, we might say things like, well, that's not my president, or um, we might be quick to criticize public officials and things like that that we disagree with. But for the most part, everyone here goes along with the rules, right? And thankfully, in, in the USA, we are free to talk about our government and engage in the process of making it different. And I think that's a key element that we're gonna talk about this morning. Other countries controlled by dictators like Kim Jong-un or, um, or uh, Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin, those people, they don't have the freedom to criticize their government. And, in a, and so that presents different challenges for us in understanding and applying this passage, which we'll do that later. But, but, but people in those situations, they need to obey their governing authorities or they face criminal consequences. And this includes how they speak about them. So the passage we have before us presents some unique challenges. And we want to think about how these challenges were applied in the early church in Rome, how these were applied in our current day, and then how they can be applied in challenging situations that, that involve like persecution and things like that. So in order for us to understand the passage this morning, we're going to seek to figure out what question Paul is answering in these letters. See, the, the, God, the, um, the epistles, uh, especially the ones written by Paul, were often answering questions from the church. So the church would send a letter to Paul and say, hey, we've got questions about these things. And so one of the questions they were asking, I believe, is, you know, how do we, as Christians, how do we respond to the governing authorities that are over us? So I think that he was um, asking those questions. So let's talk about that. In Rome, at the time when this letter was written, there was tension between the Jews and the governing authorities that would rear up from time to time. Sometimes these tensions included armed conflicts. Um, some of you may be familiar with like the Maccabean Revolt and things like that. There was uh, Jewish-Roman wars, things like that. I don't want to get bogged down in the different conflicts and the, and the dates and things when all this was happening, but just suffice to say that there was tension, there was conflict, and sometimes it was armed and sometimes it wasn't. So when the, so when the Christian church was being formed in Rome, it included Jews who were required to pay extra taxes because of those tensions. And they also had, um, the Jews 
um, had that history of armed revolt, and they were um, being occupied by the governing authority of Rome. So as newly baptized Christians seeking to live out their faith, they were surely asking Paul these questions about how to be a Christian and a citizen of Rome and honor God at the same time. We think about Jesus' famous line about give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, right? When he's talking about the, the coin, it's like, how do we live that out? And so um, also we're, we're reminded of these tensions that exist when we think about the gospel and how it played out where Jesus himself was brought before Pilate, who was a, a, a Roman uh, leader in that area. And so uh, here we have this conflict between Jesus and the Jews, and it's being brought before the Romans. So this, again, this conflict, conflict plays out. And the same with Paul. When Paul was being persecuted, he appealed to Caesar, and they brought him to Rome. So this, uh, this conflict was being played out in the midst of, in the midst of the, this Roman culture. Um, so I, I do believe it. they were asking that question, should we be subject to the ruling authorities over us in Rome if Jesus is our Lord and Savior? So if Jesus is really our Lord and Savior, do we really have to follow these other rules? So some probably thought, well, if I'm under the authority of Jesus, then do I really need to be under the authority of something else? Do I really need to pay these taxes to the government that I don't like? Well, maybe it would be better if I didn't support them at all. Maybe it would be better if I was disrespectful to those soldiers on the street. I don't want to be under their authority. Maybe it would be better if I cheated on my property taxes and disregarded the local tariffs and, and taxes on food and services. Perhaps some Roman soldiers who became Christians even thought, I'm so happy with my own government that maybe I'll start my own government and overthrow the Roman government with force. I think Paul is writing to address these issues with the early church. And again, I think he's answering that question. As followers of Christ, do I really need to be subject to the governing authorities? And the answer in here is yes, yes. And I think we need to ask that question, too, especially in light of the political tension that we face on a daily basis lately, uh, more and more, the political conflict um, on right and left, is it, it uh, tends to divide and it tends to elevate to a point where it's not really, it's not Christian behavior in terms of how we relate and connect and, and uh, what we call what the other side calls each other, you know, so we're back and forth on these things. So I think it's, I think it's a good message for us, uh, culturally relevant for sure. Um, so again, Paul's answer, and now we're going to scripture here, looking at uh, verses one and five, Paul tells the Romans twice, he says, uh, he says, be subject to the governing authorities. He says it twice in verse one and five. So the command is clear, be subject. So, so we're going to look a little closer at why. What, what are the reasons that Paul gives us for that? And the, the first reason is the uh, chief Sunday school answer, God. If you look at the passage, there are nine verses. God is the center of, of, the, of the passage. God is mentioned eight times. 
Okay, the reason that we're to obey the government authorities is God. God has ordained the government, government authorities. So let's take a look at what Paul says about God and how he uses the government here. Verse 1, it says, There is no authority except from God, and the authority that does exist has been instituted by God. God uses the governing authorities for good and for applying God's wrath to wrongdoers. Paul even goes as far as to say that the governing authorities are ministers of God, which is to imply that they deserve to be supported by the people just as the Levite priests were supported by the people. See, the Levites, when they inherited the promised land, they were not given a means of making money, so they were dependent upon the offering. So just like the analogy here is that government officials don't have a way of making money. They're dependent upon the taxes and the offerings and things like that. So, so he's making the argument that this is a God-ordained institution, and it deserves to be supported just like the Levitical priesthood. So furthermore, um, Paul tells them, let's see... Let's see. So furthermore, Paul tells them that if they aren't subject to the authorities, then they will be subject to judgment from God. So there's this negative element as well. Additionally, he reminds them that the governing authorities have the power of the sword and can apply God's wrath on wrongdoers. If they are pursuing evil or wrongdoing, then they should be afraid of the governing authorities. So again, it's all about God. And then the second reason that he lists, it's, a, it's really short, but he says, for your own conscience, um, if, you, uh, if you're not obeying the government authorities, then your own conscience will get you. And so we can all relate to that, where uh, sometimes we know people that are, have really sensitive consciences, and if they do something they know is wrong, then um, they'll have this really sheepish grin on their face, and they'll come and they'll say, you know, mom or dad, um, I did this thing. And it's, it's their conscience is, is getting them, right? And so um, Paul even appeals to your conscience. And basically he's implying that, that we all know we should obey the government, and if we don't, then our conscience is going to get us. So it's, a, it's an interesting argument. So we have the reasons why we should be subject to the governing authorities. And so at this point, I think a lot of us would think, well, there's probably like a hundred reasons why we shouldn't obey the governing authorities, right? With, this, with the war going on in, in um, Russia, the first thought is to like, well, why are the Russian people obeying their government authorities, right? Like, why are they obeying this? That's just terrible, it's awful. But, you know, obviously they're, they're subject to their government. Um, but there, there are instances when it's appropriate to challenge the government and, and I think we're called to do that in a godly way. And so my, the first example that comes to mind in how do we challenge the government in a godly way is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So if you know your, um, your you know, Sunday school stories, it's from Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are commanded by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow down to this, gold, this massive golden statue and worship the golden statue. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living under 
uh, Babylonian rule. They're not Babylonian, but they were subject to it. But they were following the, the government authorities. They were living out their life under authority. Um, but when it came time to worship something other than the one true God, that's when they stood up and they said, you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down. And he says, okay, well now you're busted, you're in trouble, you are going to go to the fiery furnace. And so, so they, you know, under the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar, they go to the fiery furnace. And they are, they are about to be martyred for the faith. And in that situation, you know, God intervenes and, um, you know, God intervenes and they don't burn up and they come out. And then King Nebuchadnezzar has this revelation of like, well, if their God can do that, then, then he must be an awesome God. So from now on, the law of the land is you can't say anything bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, so this whole thing plays out. And it's a situation where we see uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are subject to the governing authorities, but they stand for their faith, and they stand up for their faith. And, then, and we see God honors that. And now we know from history that sometimes uh, when martyrs are willing to stand up, they are martyred. Um, and so sometimes that plays out. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. But... Um, but anyway, um, so what does this all mean for us this morning? What does this all mean? How do I apply this to my current context here uh, in Memphis this morning? It means that we need to remember that government authorities are instituted by God, and they are to be obeyed. So we need to engage our government and our, and our neighbors in law-abiding ways. It means that as Christians, we shouldn't band together to form an underground government and plan on overthrowing our government by force, right? That would not be a, a Christian response. I think what it does mean is that we should respect those who are in authority over us and that we should engage in the legal process of doing what is right. Um, so... I mean, extreme example would be like, um, remember a few years back when there was a, um, uh, it was a baseball game, the, the uh, congressional baseball game was happening and some person came out and tried to shoot the congressman. Like, so they were, they were taking it to an extreme to say, you know, I'm unhappy, so I'm gonna take up arms against these Congress people. That would be, not appropriate. But what would be appropriate, right, would be to uh, have a protest and speak your voice and let your, let your, uh, let your um, voice be heard. That would be appropriate. And the same with uh, extreme examples of, say, say you are uh, very opposed to abortion, right? You could, um, you could uh, write your legislatures. You could support adoption. You could uh, become a mentor for young teens that are that are uh, struggling with uh, teen pregnancy. You could do all those things, but blowing up a Planned Parenthood office would not be appropriate response. Does that make sense? So there's a 
there's a sense in which as Christians, you know, we can make our voice heard, but it needs to be in a way that fits with Paul's trajectory of, of loving people and loving everyone. So a current example that's going to play out in the next couple of weeks is the, the U.S. Supreme Court is taking up the case of the um, football coach who prayed at the 50-yard line after the games. So there's been this uh, you know, ongoing push between the separation of church and state where you know, uh, more and more um, public institutions are saying you can't do anything that has to do with religion. This football coach says, well, you know, I have the freedom to pray after the game. It's a public space. And if anyone wants to join me, they can join me. So it's optional. You can opt in. Well, the, the governing authority said, no, you can't do that. And so, you know, he had to comply. He lost his job. So he complied, but he took it to court. And the legislation has played out where um, it's been upheld, it's been upheld, but the Supreme Court is going to take that case up. And it's a, it's a really, it's a freedom of religion case. It's really important. And so I believe those are things that play out this, how do we, how do we obey the governing authorities, but how, as Christians, how do we um, resist and use our voice in those situations? And so speaking of using our voice in situations, it brings me to um, the kind of a, a more application to a situation that's even more dire. And so I'll just summarize all this and say that um, in, in Nazi Germany, the government was usurping the church's authority. So the government came into the church and said, you are not allowed to serve any person who's Jewish heritage, even if they're a baptized believer in Christ. And so the government usurped the authority of the church. And then the church complied with that and went along with it. And then, so at that point, what does the church do? And Bonhoeffer's argument was that both institutions, the church and the um, government were both instituted by God, but when they both stray from their mission, then it created this problem. And so at that point, that's when people need to stand up. So when the government usurps its role as bringing good for the people and bringing flourishing, then the church is called to stand up in those situations. And so, um, so as we know, that, that kind of played out. So there was a division in the church, and then um, you know, Bonhoeffer was, was instrumental in resisting um, Hitler but he went so far as to plot his assassination, which ultimately resulted in his martyrdom, really, where uh, Bonhoeffer was hanged for uh, pursuing um, what he thought was justice in that situation. But if you think of it in terms of the governmental framework, it kind of played out, right? Like, you're not allowed to plot assassination against your government leader, but because he did, he was subject to the sword. Um, so it's complicated, but it's fascinating to think how all this plays out. But Bonhoeffer, while he was in prison, had a lot of time to think about some of these things. So he gives us three arguments to move forward as Christians. He says, uh, make sure you question the state's legitimate role. He says the state 
is all about creating law and order, not lack of rights or disorder. So if the state is, is creating disorder or instituting things that cause people to lack their rights, then the state is out of accord and it's up to the church to go ahead and stand up and speak about that. And he says, in those situations, the church should, should serve the victims. Whoever those victims are should be served. And so we think about what's going on in Ukraine right now. We think about all those people who are being displaced. Over almost a million and a half people are being displaced. They're coming into countries like Poland, and they're being received with love and care and compassion. And that's what the Christian church should be doing, is receiving those people, because they're victims of that situation. And then the third thing he said is uh, kind of provocative and, and discerns much more thought, but it says the third possibility is just to bind up, the, not just to bind up the wounds of the victim beneath the wheel of oppression, but to seize the wheel itself. And so I think application for us is to, is to engage in government, engage in the system. As Christians, we need to engage and be a part and uh, do it in, in Christian and loving ways. So, so if, you've, if, you've, if you're asleep, if you've been tired, if you uh, just decided that, to check your phone for a minute, pay attention right now. Here's the climax of the message right here. Bonhoeffer realized that the government authorities will serve the purposes of God when it is protecting the church and when it is persecuting the church. When it is protecting the church and when it is persecuting the church. The government is ordained by God and it serves God no matter which trajectory it goes. So think about it. The church, when it protects the government, when it protects the church, it allows the church to flourish, right? But when we think about church growth, the church actually, in history, flourishes under persecution, which is kind of fascinating. But the church, um, so under persecution, the church is indeed, even if the state explicitly desires to repress the task of the church, um, let me read this and get ahead of myself. So the church is indeed, even if the state explicitly desires to repress its task of preserving order and justice for the sake of Christ, Bonhoeffer believes that this rejection only proclaims the truth of God by creating witnesses to the name of Christ through the suffering of the church community. So isn't it fascinating to think that the, a, an oppressive government can actually be in service to God by creating witnesses? Um, I think North Korea has been at the top of the the persecution list for Christians uh, for probably over 20 years. If you proclaim Christ in North Korea, then you're going to some sort of work labor camp and some sort of re-education. Uh, but there are people that are doing it. They are standing for their faith, and they, are, and they are being subject to the government authorities in that situation. And so we would say, that's terrible. We need to change that. It is terrible. We need to change that. But they are being witnesses for the gospel and when that regime eventually falls, I would, bet my, I would bet a lot of money on it that North Korea would become one of the most booming Christian countries, just like South Korea. South Korea has more Presbyterians than we do. South Korea is a booming Christian nation. So anyway, back to Rome, just to bring it all together. Rome, in uh, 313, um, 
the Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan that said Christianity is going to be accepted in our, in our empire. And then 10 years later, it became the official religion of uh, the Roman Empire. So it played out, right? The, the Roman Empire was the most dastardly towards Christians, but eventually they became a Christian nation. So the, the witness, the, the blood of the martyrs became the seeds of the church. And so it's just fascinating to see how all this plays out. But think about that, this light topic this Sunday morning. And as we, um, as we partake in communion, just remember, brothers and sisters, that God has ordained the church, God has ordained the government, and he asks us to live in peace in those situations and to move forward for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.